Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, I'm Tanner Olson, and this is episode 31 of Walk a Little Slower, a podcast where I share a little hope, a little love, and a little bit of what I've been learning. This is a podcast where you are invited to slow down, to lean in, to hold fast, and to eventually, to eventually keep going. Welcome. Welcome back to another episode of the Walk a Little Slower podcast. This is episode 31. And today's episode is a conversation with Andy Squires. Andy is a musician and a writer and a poet priest, and we're going to talk about all of that. But before we get into the conversation, just a few things. If you haven't yet left a rating and review for the show, please take a minute to do so. Thank you to all of you who have shared this podcast around, who have told your friends about these episodes and what they mean to you. And for those of you who have left a rating and review, it means... I mean, truly, it means the world, and I'm just so grateful that you would tune in week after week. Next thing, I don't know if you know this, but fall, well, it's here. It's happening right now. And if you're looking for new sweatshirts or a hoodie, make sure to check out writtentowear.com. We have three collections that are currently available. Spread hope, just happy to be here, and personal favorite, life is not a race, and you are not behind. You can check out all the designs, all the shirts, the hat, at writtentowear.com. And last thing before we get to our conversation with Andy Squires, I'm continuing to book speaking and poetry events, Nights of Hope. So if you're looking to have a guest speaker at your church or your school, or you're just interested in hosting a night of poetry and storytelling, let me know. I would love to tell you more about those events, what they're like, and, and what I can do for you and the people around you. I'm also booking events alongside musician Blake Flatley, as well as Matt Daring, as well as mental health counselor and writer Heidi Gaiman, who was on a few episodes back. And you can learn about all these events and ways in which that we can host a night of hope, a night of poetry, a night of conversation, a night of music in your community, your church, your organization, whatever it is. Truly, I just want to come share some poetry with you all, make a couple of jokes, and the hope for these events is that you would leave every event feeling more hopeful than when you walked in. So please visit writtentospeak.com for more. I'd love to tell you more. If you just have questions, shoot me an email. I'm a pretty easy guy to get a hold of. All right, let's not waste any more time. That's enough announcements. Here is my conversation with Andy Squires. All right, well, I don't know how to start podcast interviews. So that's how I start podcast interviews is by saying, I don't know how to start podcast interviews. And eventually, <laughs> eventually I want to talk about music and your writing and your, and your journey as a creator, but we need to start with something that's extremely important. You like the Golden State Warriors. Yes. Tell yes. me, tell me more. Yeah. Well, I'm, 
I'm a Bay Area kid, born and raised. And uh, so, I mean, I, I was young when I got into sports and was playing youth basketball. And obviously, if you're a Bay Area kid, well, this isn't obvious because a lot of Bay Area kids were Lakers fans. Lakers, this would have yeah. been... This would have been the 80s, Showtime. so Showtime was happening, and like, and the the Warriors were so bad at that time that nobody wanted to, you know, you know, admit to being a Warriors fan at that point. But then, and then in the 90s, late 80s, early 90s, when I was in high school, we had a pretty good run. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we had Chris Mullen, Mitch Richmond, and and uh, uh, Tim Hardaway, um, known as Run TMC, and we had. We just had a couple of good years where we almost made the playoffs. So that was, those mm-hmm. were like my glory years. And then, uh, you know, you know, fast forward, I'm living in North Carolina starting in 1999. I'm, I'm near Davidson College. So when Steph Curry comes on the scene at Davidson College, we're just like losing our minds up here. And then when he gets drafted by the Warriors, I'm I'm so excited, but like his first year, he he was suffering with ankle injuries, and it looked like mm-hmm. he was going to be a bust, you know, a draft bust. Yep. Nobody could have imagined what turned out to be, you know, one of the greatest success stories in the NBA, and then obviously the Warriors' tremendous run of success now. So, yeah, there's a lot of Warriors bandwagon fans in the world, but I can honestly, oh, yeah. say, I can honestly say I still have my I. I have a pin that I got from a, a game that I went to in eighth grade. It's still on my jean jacket that I wear at almost every show. And, yeah. <laughs> so, and you kind of have to make that known too. You got to make that known too. Like I'm not a bandwagon fan. Like I have, like yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to name three players that are now in the hall of fame that you probably yeah. don't know about. Right. I'm so yeah. I, I grew up in Orlando. So I'm a, I'm a diehard Orlando magic fan. Like I yes. like, I like writing. I like creating, but then everything else that I do, it's like, I want to learn as much about the NBA as possible. <laughs> you know, draft day is one of my favorite days yes. of the year. Like I carve yeah. out, like I, I, I've been asked to do events on draft day and I say, no, no, like you Can't don't understand. Do this is my Christmas, like draft day. And then the first day of free agency, like it's, it's huge. So I am, I'm the same way where, I mean, we have not been good. We've had opportunities to be good and it's just never happened. Right. So I was like, when you said that you were a Warriors fan, I was like, man, if he tells me that he just became a Warriors fan, it's going to yeah, be a different no. conversation. But I had a no. feeling it was like ingrained. And did you did you grow up playing ball too? I did. I did. Um, it, it's funny. Uh, I, you know, you were talking about like plugging books, and I we'll get to that later on. But yeah. one of the cool things that my creative team has come up with, we found I found a highlight reel from my high school years, and I like it was like cable access. Uh, cable access show of uh, game of the week. So my, my high school team, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a, I, I wasn't a starting player, but I get, I come off the bench, get two fast breaks and, and, uh, you know, bust two yeah. shots from the corner. And it's just like, that's my highlight reel. So my creative team <laughs> like lifted that off this old VHS tape and like, put it in our, our marketing material for my next book. So that was pretty fun. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I played, I played in high school as well. I think I have a, uh, there's a highlight tape somewhere on yeah. YouTube, but I don't even want to call it a highlight tape. I want to say like, it was me playing basketball that was cut right. up a little bit, but it made yeah. me look like, yeah. So what position did you play? 
I was a small forward, you know, I was, yeah. I was never, I was never an amazing ball handler and I was never very big. I mean, I, I think my junior year of high school, I topped out at six one, but I was only mm-hmm. like 155 pounds. So like, um, kind of a funny story. Uh, there was a, a famous guy in my league, not famous at the time, but do you remember the, the Baltimore Ravens quarterback, Trent Dilfer? He, yeah. he he actually won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. I think it was in 2000. Yeah. But he 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 was at a an opposing high school in our league, so that was kind of always fun to play against him. But he mm-hmm. was massive. Like I was I was 6'1", 155 pounds, but Trent I think at that point was maybe 6'4", maybe 230, you know, like Yeah. Um, just big. Could, could, yeah, he could stand underneath the basket and do a two-hand dunk. So, yeah, those are so I, I, I wasn't really big enough to do well in our league, but I had a couple of glory moments anyways. No, I, I resonate with that. I, I, uh, I topped out about five, ten and a half with two yeah. bad knees, but we played against, I grew up in Orlando. So I played against Austin Rivers when he was oh in gosh. like eighth yeah. grade and he just like destroyed us. Yeah. Uh, played yeah. against uh, Chandler Parsons and okay. Nick Kalathis. They were on the yeah. same team. And Nick Kalathis is on playing for, he's playing on Greece's team right now. Okay. So he was just playing with like Giannis and stuff. And so it's like watching these guys who like destroyed me uh, one afternoon are just, are still doing it. It's, uh, yes. it's incredible. But yeah. I didn't bring you on the podcast to talk about basketball. I mean, <laughs> a little bit. Well, actually, how, let me, maybe we'll get to that question. Now, let's get to it now because that's where my brain works. Because you're, you're an artist, you're creative. How has like um, basketball influenced the way that you create or work or even like the the way that you approach writing, if there is a connection mm-hmm. that you can think of? Yeah, I don't really think there's a connection except that it's it's just a part of my life. Like just in terms of like you have these little things that you enjoy and they seem meaningless, um, but they're not. Like, like, I mean, I was raised in a, a religious tradition where like – the intensity level of your devotion for God would, um, you know, maybe look down at somebody being a sports fan or like doing things like that. And uh, growing up and just maybe coming into a more holistic idea of God and following Jesus, it's like, no, it's it's part of human thriving to have, have things that are a piece of your life there. Obviously you can make anything an idol or anything a God. And, you know, there's like levels of unhealthy levels of obsession that you don't want to live into, but man, it's really awesome to have things that you enjoy doing like that. And I, and I view those things as like gifts from God. And so I think in that way, I've, um, I, I look at like, like, like writing creativity, there's an intensity associated with that, you know? And when I go into my more creative seasons, there is a level of like obsession. And so maybe basketball or being a sports fan or doing some of the other things that I enjoy doing, those are like the, the release from the tensions of working hard. Cause I do believe in working really hard in those areas. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, maybe that's the connection. Yeah. That connects. I always talk about when 
when I write like in my, in my office and we're, I'm in my kitchen right now because someone's building a house like right next to where my office is. So it's nothing but like banging right now, but on the walls of my, my office, it's like photos of, of Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan and, you know, yeah. all these things that don't really connect with writing. But like sometimes in my mind, when I sit down to write, I'm like, I want to, I want to be a writer, like the way that they were a basketball player, but yeah. maybe not as, as uh, intense, you know, like I'm not yeah. trying to be like, cutthroat but i want to approach it as serious as the way that they approached playing because i think that there is this where you begin to take your your profession your calling a little bit more seriously and then that changes what comes out on the page or what comes out of your mouth on stage Um, that's right now when when you're at a party and someone asks you what do you do how do you respond that's changed for me in the past it's been I'm a pastor, you know, I'm a worship leader or something like that. But now I've struggled with that answer a little bit. Um, You know, it, it feels a little daunting to tell people I'm a writer or I'm a, you know, a professional musician, but I mean, that is the brass tacks of my life right now. I'm actually making a living um, in, you know, in my creative endeavors, which is something I never thought, would ever be a reality in my life. I, I think, yeah. I think in my early twenties, I dreamed that that would be the case, but, um, you know, quickly realized that the ha, doing that is so, so difficult, you know, whether it's in writing or music or e- whether you're a visual artist, you know, it's in even visual arts, it's, it's hard to do. Um, so yeah, that's how I'm answering that question at this point. That's good. How did you get started with all of this as, as a musician, as a writer? Yeah. So that's a, that's a pretty um, explicit story. I mean, like I, I, I remember very well, it, it, it's not ambiguous. I, when I was 18 years old, I had a friend who was 10 years older than me, who was a piano player. I, I wasn't a musician at all. Um, but he had heard a poem that I had read, written for a literature class in high school and he was struck by it. And he asked, he asked me, have you ever considered songwriting? And I, and I honestly said, no, I, you know, I didn't even, yeah, that that concept had never even entered into my brain. Although I was a music fan, I just never thought, wow, Mm -hmm. I'd like to do that, you know? Um, So we started meeting every Friday night for about a year and we would hack out these terrible songs. Like he was a really, really good piano player, but I wasn't a singer and I definitely didn't understand um, the basics of songwriting. So I was just doing whatever I thought, like it was mostly (laughs) instinctual and it was just awful, but we didn't know that we were making these little four track demos and, and I still have copies of them and um, I keep them because I, I like to tell young artists when I, you know, a lot, sometimes artists will come to me and play their material for me and they'll, I'll say, do you want me to tell you what you want to hear? Or do you want me to tell you the truth? Right. There's that thing. And, but, but in order to like make the medicine go down a little bit, I, I always say, listen, I was not only doing work this bad, but I was doing work that was worse than what you just, (laughs) you know? So yeah, we all have to go through that um, 
that that that's it's it's like we get inspired we want to do great work and then the the project becomes learning to do great work yeah that's that's a that's a journey man like yeah rare, rarely do people just show up and are um, good are good yeah 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 i always i always talk about you know if you're willing to be bad at something you might just become good at it you might you might become good at it. I remember one like right. uh, my the first poems that I wrote, even the first ones that I recorded and put on the internet, the ones that I thought at one time at one point were good. Like I li- I listen back to them now and I'm and I can't even make it through them because they're not yeah. they're not yeah. good. But it's 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 part of it. It's That's part right. of it. And how it's how long have you been at how long have you been doing this for? Well, I've never so from that beginning, I never stopped. So I I actually became obsessed. It became an obsession for me. Um, I I'm 49 now. So I I started when I was 18. So, you know, decades of, of swinging the hammer. And I, I, I can honestly say this now, I don't write bad songs anymore. I, that's just not it for, for me, what I'm, I'm now, now the, um, the, the, the threshing process for me is to get rid of the good songs and only get to the gold songs, you know, because yeah. like you, you, you do, you, you put in so many reps that you can sniff a bad idea out a mile away, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I never, I never, once I started down that road, I never stopped. And so I was consistently doing it in obscurity for a really long time. And, and I think that, um, that was, I don't know, dare I say God's grace in my life. Um, because it, it allowed me the, 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 the obsession with writing combined with the obscurity made me really good because Mm -hmm. Because I was what I was what I was attempting to ascend to was master in the craft rather than fame or fortune. Yeah, and so that really did uh, put a lot of wind in my sails, and and then and then finally culminated to a place where, you know, I had something substantial enough to put in the public square that would be re- received. Yeah. Well, I think about that a lot of times too, because, um, you know, in, in the world, just to, in the creative world, every now and again, there'll be somebody who creates one thing. It goes crazy on the internet or around the world. And then they are, then that's what they're known for. That's what they're all about. And yeah. it sounds like for you and I, like we were interested or obsessed or felt this like calling or invitation into some sort of life of creativity. And it yeah. took years and years of kind of publicly doing it, but not public for everybody so we had this room right. to to grow and to develop and to figure out how to not write bad songs anymore i think yeah. that's i think to anybody that might sound a little arrogant or it's like i don't write bad songs anymore but i think it's knowing yourself well enough and trusting the gifts that you've been given to be able to say no like i only write gold well, songs yeah and, and it's actually it, it sounds like arrogance but it's actually humility because it's yep you're really mm-hmm. stepping into the comfort of your own skin. Yeah. You know, and so in, 
And getting there isn't easy because there really is the gauntlet of, of subjecting yourself to, to some masters who are going to take a look at your work and really tell you what you're doing wrong. And, mm -hmm. um, and I don't care who you are. That's just not easy. Right. Um, and, and I, I don't want to make it sound like I don't have room to grow. In fact, uh, what I'll do now, like I know the areas where, where I'm strong, I will go, I'll turn those, I'll turn those things off and go mm -hmm. be a beginner somewhere in another form or like a different type of songwriting or writing that I've never engaged with before. And just for the sake of like broadening my horizons and not getting bored, I'll go be a, be a student again, be a beginner again and sit at the feet of people who are far beyond me, you know, just so, so just so you can stay interesting, right? Just mm -hmm. so you can keep your blood boiling a little bit. And that also ch then changes the way that you write songs. Yeah. I'm sure it does. Cause you're coming with a, with a, with a new understanding or uh, revelation to uh, of something, of something new. And, sure. and it sounds like you, you kind of did this like a couple years ago, right? Like uh, it was a lot of music and then you started putting these longer form pieces on, on Instagram. Yeah. And that's how, like I, I, well, the first time I, I found your work, we were, we sang cherry blossoms at, okay. at, at church. And in the yeah. middle of the song, I started Googling these lyrics. Cause I'm like, who is this person? Like, this is not, this man is not Hillsong. This man is not Bethel. Like, what is this about? And I remember like being just overwhelmed by the beauty of your lyrics. Uh, but also like in a good way, the simplicity of them as well. Uh, and I remember sitting in church, pulling out my phone and just Googling anything that was on the screen during that song. And then I went through and just afterwards, just read through your work. Um, and obviously really, really enjoyed it. But a few years ago, you started putting these longer form pieces on, on Instagram. What was that one of part of those, uh, those ways of going back to being a beginner in another area of creativity, or had you always been doing that just not publicly? No, that was actually a very utilitarian move on my part. When my, my record Poet Priest came out in 2021 and I, I, I ran out of marketing money for that record. We had spent a ton of money on that record and had like 1500 bucks to, mm -hmm. you know, buy Instagram ads to ask people to, to listen to it for free. Right. It's like, mm -hmm. it's just a crazy <laughs> world. It's the wild west out there in the, in the world of music and streaming. So so because because the world is inundated with artists now um the 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 level of well people just have a limited amount of time resource so so mm -hmm. we can't say yes to every artist that's asking us to live, engage with their music that's coming down the pipe pipeline and um so i just got this idea like man, I'm just going to start writing around some of the themes that I've, I've been putting in my songs and just see what happens. Well, that experiment exploded on me. I had no clue that that would take off the way it did. I mean, that project exceeds my musical reach at this point, you know, and which is so, so fascinating to me. Um, you know, if you've been following the, if you've been following the Instagram 
algorithms lately, it's like they're shifting everything to video and because they're trying to keep up with TikTok. Um, and, and, and their, their idea is, is that people, people's time attention spans are so short. Now, all they're willing to do is engage with these short form video formats. Yep. And I'm definitely proving that wrong. Um, <laughs> because, because the weird little graphic that I put up is just mostly absurd. And then the amount of words that I put connected to that graphic just flies in the face of everything that whoever it is, the robots that are leading these social media platforms are saying the human being is looking for, which is what it tells me is that we are in a, we are in a full, full blown crisis of meaninglessness in our, in our day and age. And so when somebody shows up, Saying something substantial, but saying it in a compelling or interesting way, that will make a road for that artist like mm-hmm. they've never imagined before. And um, and and it's also interesting to me because I would have I would have always thought that my songs would have an easier inroad into people's hearts and minds, but at least up until this point. As far as I can tell, it seems like the writing has has been more successful for me. And successful is a relative term. I I yeah. use that very, you know, um, lightly. But yeah, it's it's like I'm very curious about the moment that we're living in right now as to why people would be so inclined towards the written word in this way. Is is any of that frustrating? Let me back up. Is it frustrating for you for the thing that you wanted to maybe be known for with the music? Oh. And then all of a sudden it's just like, yeah. wait, you want you guys want me to write? But I want yes. to play music for you. Yes. Because I'm sure it's- now people come across you as, hey, you're oh, you're the guy with the long Instagram captions. Yes. Yes. It's 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 been it's been weird because I'm super passionate about music. And fortunately, I still do have a decent enough enough of a like niche fan base to mm-hmm. who care about my music. But yeah, that's been a little, I, I I've said it before. Like it's a little bit insulting actually, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you have to take what comes right. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I'm sure like in a marketing sense, like it's doing the thing where it's people are coming to your work and then you're like, also, I do. Yeah. I do this. You know, I feel the yeah. same way too. Like I have these I'll, on, on Instagram, I'll share these short little ripped up pieces of paper. Uh, but in my books, there are these longer form pieces that I'm like passionate about that I love to share from stage. And people are like, no, like give us the 12 words, like 12 words yeah. is good. Anything more than that. It's like, okay, well I'm going to do both because what I like to create, I want to keep creating and I don't want to have to go get a, a quote unquote real job somewhere else. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's that's wild. I will say this about your your writing on Instagram. I love it. I probably share most things that you post. It takes me forever to read them because I have to really pay attention to every single line, which is really good. But also, yeah. would it kill you to put a space in between some of those lines? Well, <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> no, no, no. So this is a this is an ongoing this is an ongoing discussion actually among I don't know if 
I don't know what you would call them. The people that are keeping up with me at this point. Um, Your buds. Yeah. So I, I don't know what it is about me, but I, I absolutely resist it at this point. And good. And I feel like it's, I feel like it's, the the lack of paragraphs is actually well there's a method to my madness so so i have i have like an ongoing critique of the subculture that i belong to which is mm-hmm. you know oh god this is such it's 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 like low hanging fruit at this point but like modern evangelical christianity that's my story. Those are my people. So like, mm-hmm. I, I understand all the ins and outs of the aesthetic. And so there's a, there's this thing inside of me that is so resistant to, to all of the things that we've said were normal or, or allowable. And so I don't know why I've chosen the format that I have, but in some ways it feels a little bit like a strange resistance, a strange absurdity. Because mm-hmm. honestly, the bulk of what is produced in the world of Christian everything, you know, I don't want to waste too much time on that conversation because it's been had over yeah, and over yeah. and over and everybody gets it. It's like, who cares? By, by this point, we don't need to talk about it anymore. We just need to go out and do great work at this point. Yeah. Um, and so I find that the things that really set me on fire personally, uh, they, they're just they're left of center when it comes mm-hmm. to just aesthetics. And I think that there's enough people in this world doing good work in the normal formats that I don't need to add to that format. I know it makes more sense to people, but. Um, I don't know in, until, until like the, the spirit leads me. Otherwise I feel like I'm digging in on that. Well, I was, you know, I joke about it cause part of me is like, I think I would be bummed if you did change right. it up because yeah. there's something about like, this is the way that he does it, you know, yeah. and, and based off of your, your work, I don't yeah. get the, I don't get the sense that you were, you were trying to be like this person or this person or this person. There is something right encouraging and beautiful about somebody who says, well, this is just kind of the way, this is the way that I do it. And if you don't like it, like you don't, you, you really don't have to be here and that's, that's okay. Yeah. And, that's, and, and I think that's the, that's the best place to create from, isn't it? You like, I have to get up in the morning with this, this idea that I'm not for everybody. I'm not mm-hmm. everybody's cup of tea. Yep. And, and, and I think that more, people that are working in the arts need to adopt that mindset Yeah, because what it does is it frees you up to do what you really want. Now, now the, the rub though is, is that you can't, well, what's that old thing in before, before, well, it's like, before you can become a great abstract painter, you should probably know how to paint the human form. Right. You know, like yeah. it, 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 before you can de- deconstruct, you should have an orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. 
You know, it, it's, that it's that thing. Yeah. So like, if you don't understand the rules of grammar and syntax, mm-hmm. you probably shouldn't be trying to be E.E. E. Cummings, you know? Um, so now I, I will say this too. I, I'm not a man. I am not by any means a master of the English language And in my first book in Poet Priest Volume 1, I did not have an editor. And I will never make that mistake again. Like, (laughs) So so, so for Poet Priest Volume 2, we have an editor and she's brutal and she brutalized me. And she like, you know, made me cry myself to sleep on many nights, you know, like, but, but that's what you need. Like, that's what great artists need. Like great musicians need great. They need great producers to tell them mm-hmm. enough is enough. You're, you know, um, and that's and great writers need, they need editors. So yeah, I don't well, want to make speaks it. A, yeah. yeah. Well, that speaks a lot to it. Cause I think a lot of times, you know, artists or creatives when they get started, like, I'm just going to do this all by myself. That's, yeah. that's noble of you, but it's not going to go that well. Like you have to have that's the people right. around you who are going to be like, and my, my wife is that person. Like I texted her this morning. I said, Hey, can you look over this thing that I'm going to post later today? Did I put all the commas in the right spot? Right. right? Cause like, that's just like, for me, I'm like a, a comma is a big gamble. I really don't know where yeah. it goes. It could go there, but it's like, but I, I understand like, I understand writing and I understand communicating. I just don't understand all of it. And that's, that's okay. When yeah, I when I share sure. when I share poetry at, at schools or at, like in, in middle school classes and high school classes, a lot of it is like they when they say like you know how did you get to where you are? It's like well it's because I sat where you sat, and like I get to write the things that I write now because I wrote all of the the things that you are being asked to write, and so yeah. do that, and yes. then one day you'll be able to do this. But you can't. I mean, you can't run before you learn how to like crawl or walk. Well, and, and you okay. can't. You can't break rules if you don't know what the rules are. Right. That's good. That's true. Um, all right. I'm interested in, in, in this. You call yourself a, a poet priest, which I think is, I'm kind of jealous of it, to be honest. I wish that I had come up with it first, but here we are. How, where did that come from? How did you kind of start saying, I'm you know poet priest and then go from there? I wish I could take credit for that, but I have a really good friend of mine named Eric Hurchin, who is world-class artist, designer. Um, he, he works, he works with everybody from, you know, fortune 500 companies to like world renowned musical artists that you would know. Um, and then little, little people like myself, I I've known Eric for a really long time. So he's, you know, he's, he's blown up in his world, but he'll still work, work with me. But in 2015, I was on a phone call with him and I was telling him how I felt, I felt trapped and I felt like I didn't belong in either of the two worlds that I found myself in one, one world being the church, which Mm -hmm. I, I feel, uh, I, I feel, I feel absolutely called to, but but because of the things that I think I feel unwelcome mostly and, but, but likewise out, out in, you know, within secular culture, um, I have the same feeling. So I feel, I feel like, uh, in, within, within the greater culture, 
my, I feel like the sensibilities that I carry are appreciated, but then the God part of my conversation is, is not necessarily like people aren't standing up and giving me, you know, Oh, this is wonderful. You're talking about <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, you yeah. know, that's, that's like a whole nother thing. Right. So I was, I was explaining this conundrum to Eric and I was saying, I don't feel like I belong in either place and I don't know what to do. And he was like, Oh, Andy, he's like, this is so easy. He goes, you're a poet priest. You belong in both. And, and there, I mean, I, and it was like the heavens open lightning struck, whatever, however you want to say it. But it was like somebody articulated back to me, the thing I already knew, which is what I believe great teachers do, great preachers yeah. do, great writers do. They're articulating those those Holy Ghost instincts that we already have that we can't find the words for. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've been running with that tagline ever since because it was just such a, a just like a stake in the ground for me. It brought a lot of clarity to me in terms of my my own vocational calling. It gave me permission you know, it gave me permission that I didn't have to become um, fully acceptable in either of those camps that I could kind of like meander, meander mm-hmm. through both of those worlds and just be myself. And yeah. that what, whatever grace, whatever broken bread, whatever consecrated struggle of my own life that I could give away as some kind of Eucharist meal um, would be sufficient and, and that I didn't have to be, a, I didn't have to be a celebrity. I didn't have to be amazing. I didn't have to fit a certain mold. I didn't have to yeah. have all of the, uh, I mean, I think a lot of Christian artists feel compelled to have all of their theological ducks in a row in order for them to be able to say something out loud. And, and, and like they fail under that pressure. So they're crushed under that pressure. And so what they end up doing is they end up saying nothing at all because they're so afraid to, Mm -hmm. to say something wrong that could get them in trouble. And I'm not afraid of that at all. I, I rarely, I rarely am afraid to say something out loud that would get me in trouble with the church. That, that idea of uh, being given permission. I feel like that, like that, it happened for me uh, when I had a friend, uh, actually it was a pastor I was working with at a church. He basically just sat me down and was like, you know, you can do this whole writing thing, right? Mm. Like, you know that you you can. And it really helped, it helped, you know, tear down walls and remind, like, help me to see, oh, okay. And then from that point on, it kind of changed, it kind of changed everything yeah. for me. And there's something about assuming, um, a, a, a title or a role. You know, one of the things I offered to people who, when they, they're like, you know, I'm an aspiring writer. And I'm like, yeah. can you please get word of the word aspiring? Like yeah. either, either you're, you're either, either you're a writer yes. or you're not. Like if you're yes. putting words down, turns out you're a writer. Now you can still, you should have goals. Like, you, you know, you, yeah. I would like to put a book out. Okay. Let's talk about that. But like, don't pretend to be something you're not because you haven't achieved this. Just be that. And when I started calling myself a writer, it changed the way that I wrote because it was almost that's as if like, oh, this is what I do, right? This is what I do. And, that, and that's what, you know, when you, when you call yourself, you know, when you call yourself a poet priest, 
I cannot unsee that. And I know I'm not the only person either. And so, you know, like maybe just to give you a, you know, a compliment, like you're doing it, man. Like you really are living in those two worlds while, while bringing your full self. And I think that's like, that's when people find as, as artists and creative, like that's when they give the good stuff is when they're just like, when they are just very okay with who they are. Yeah, you know, that's so, so well said. Yeah. And and I feel that. And I think I exude that in my work too. And I think that's, if, if somebody was to ask me, like, why do you think that your writing has hit the nerve? I would say that one of the main comments that I get from people is that they, um, well, I think it's actually rare to meet somebody in the world who is, is, kind of just happy with themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. like as simple as that sounds. And I'm not saying I have a perfect life at all. And, and I'm not saying I don't have areas of growth that I need to, you know, improve upon, but I can, I feel the grace of God in my life. Like I, I wake up in the morning and I, I feel like I'm constantly just drinking the grace of God in such a way that it enlivens me. Um, to just be Andy Squires. I don't have to be even my heroes, like even the people that I look up to. Like, like, let me give an example. Like last, last week or so, uh, um, well, my life has changed a little bit in that I am, I am now, the bulk of my energy is I'm a performing songwriter. So I'm, I'm getting better at being a performer. I've, I've always been okay at it, but I'm, I'm getting better at it now. So, so I've always been obsessed with guys like Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, those guys. But, I, but I, I've wanted to like listen to somebody more contemporary. So I've been listening to Ryan Adams, uh, his Live at Carnegie Hall album. It's like, Ryan is such a good guitar player. He's got such good between song banter. But, but more than any of that, like he's hands down one of the greatest like rock and roll folk vocalists of our generation, you know? And so I'm sitting at my desk one day and I'm listening to Ryan sing. And I get this, like the shadow comes over my brain and I'm like, oh, I can't sing like Ryan Adams. You suck. You know, yep. you suck. Like, forget it. Just hang this up. You'll never sing like Ryan Adams, you know? And I was so thankful that I, I caught myself very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like, no, no. Like God created Ryan Adams to be himself. And yes, my voice is different and I don't have the range. But gosh, dang it. Go work within your limitations. Go, go take your limitations and just push them to the very edges to where they start distorting and start breaking. And it's like that Brian Eno thing where he talks about like, like the, like the, the blues and the electric guitar and all these different modes of art, their beauty is found in the limitations where they begin to diminish and break down. And so I, I very quickly like left my little moment of, you know, self-condemnation behind and went, Oh, Nope. 
I can only be me. That's I, I can only be the best version of whatever tools I have, like my throat, my brain, my hands on my guitar. I can I can improve, but I will never be that person over over there. And that's absolutely a good thing. Yeah. And and Ryan Adams will never sing like Andy Squires. That's right. You know? That's and it. so it's like, well, I, I'm, I've got to meet that. Uh, my wife's been saying recently, you know, just keep doing, do the best you can with what you have. And yeah. it, it, in some ways it sounds like you're, you're giving up, but it's not, it's just, it's being honest. That's I, it. I, one of my favorite uh, poets is, well, there's two, uh, Anis Mojgani and then Levi McAllister. And I've seen these guys, these, both these guys perform before and they, and they walk up, they walk up on the stage and they just like, they have all the words locked and loaded in their heads and they just yeah. go and they yeah. just like give it. And I have yeah. tried to walk on stage without words and I've got nothing. Like yeah. just something happens. So when yeah. I perform poetry, I read it. Amen. And that's what I can do. And you know, there's, I remember being in, in speech classes and this is the way that you give a speech. This is the way that yeah. you do things. And I understand why they, they but like, no, that's the way that that's the way that you do it. Yeah. This is the way that I I have my limitations. I have like yeah. I can't do that. There was yeah. a time where I really wanted to be a pastor, but languages yeah. don't make sense in my head. I couldn't le learn Greek. I couldn't learn Hebrew, yeah. and so I was yeah. like, well, maybe I shouldn't be a pastor. You know, yeah. and so like sometimes those limitations are also they can also be strengths, but you also have to go through all of it to figure out what those things are, and eventually yeah. get to a place where you just kind of. Uh, you kind of hold, you know, hit you, but when your hands out and says, this is what I have to offer. And you give them the thumbs down or another finger that says, that's like, if you don't like it, that's okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's so good. And people are going to yeah. find your work. You know, it's it, yeah. like you said, man, like it, it, it took you a, a long time to kind of carve something out. It's taken me a while to carve something out, but, but when you start, it changes everything. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you another, I mean, I don't know where you're going with this conversation, but just as an add on to what we've been talking about, the biggest key for me in, um, the, and this is like in regards to being a part of the Christian subculture, mm -hmm. really what changed for me is I, I stopped trying to be a Christian musician. Mm -hmm. I stopped trying to be a Christian writer I think that those confines actually work against true art, great art. Like, and, and so once I began to tell myself, wait, tell, tell good stories, tell good stories. It doesn't matter if they're Christian stories or not, just tell good stories Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I would say that one of my ongoing critiques of the Christian subculture is that we love generalizing the specifics of our pain. Like we're not good. We're not good giving the specifics of the painful parts of our story. We tell these generalized sterile versions of those and we love mm -hmm. we love the good outcomes the resurrection outcomes so i think be, because of that we're terrible at telling stories and mm -hmm. i decided uh i did a record i started recording a record in 
in 2013 called Cherry Blossoms. And that was for me the turn where I was like, oh, I'm only going to write songs that I want to listen to. I'm not going to, I'm not going to write songs that I think Christians want to hear. And what was so funny is that that served me so well. Prior to that, I was always trying to write worship hits or songs that would get picked up by Christian radio. And it was like, nobody cares because there's other, there's other people out there creating all of that much better than I can do it. Yeah. There's there, it's, it's a hard realization or it can be to say, well, that's, that's just not me. Yeah. And I can't, and it, it would, it would hurt to try to do that. Not that there's anything wrong or sinful about writing those kind of songs, but like yeah. for me, it is, it is wrong to, it's, it's wrong for me to try to write a poem like this or, or to tell a story like this. Like that's just not, that's not how I do it. I'm open to criticism. I am, but at the same time, like, yeah, I was listening to a, uh, another podcast with a musician. Uh, do you know who Tyson Matzenbacher is? I do. Yeah. Well, he is great. And, and you guys yeah. remind me a lot of each other. Yeah. Uh, in a good way. And, uh, but he was, he was on a podcast and he was just kind of talking about like, you know, like I, I know what I believe. I just don't yeah. write those songs. And yeah. So there is, there is, and yeah. he's like, I, I just can't, I can't do it and I won't yeah. do it. And I, yeah. I am, I'm very secure in what I know to be true about who Jesus is and what he has yeah. done for my life and how that changes everything. Yeah, but this is how it's going to be worked out in my writing, and this is how I'm going to share that. Um, yeah. And it's probably not going to be the way that you want it to be. You That's know? right. <laughs> so, That's yeah. Um, last, maybe last question. I, I have like a fi- I have a lightning round of five questions for you at the very end. Right. So yeah. buckle up. But I and, and we've talked about this just a little bit. But but what has writing and creating taught you about God, or maybe one or two things that you can think of? Well, I guess this would be in addition to some of what we've already talked about, but um, some of I, I know some of my heroes, a lot of your listeners will know and 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 so um, so this will be nothing unique, but I look at at Christian writers like Flannery O'Connor. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, you know, Madeline Langle, uh, folks of that ilk, um, obviously there's, there's so many others, but, um, I would say that my, my walk with God, my walk with Jesus and the grace of God working in operation in my life actually it, it actually gives me permission to tell tales or write songs that maybe at first glance to the christian sensibility would feel salty would feel violence would feel even disbelieving would feel mm, you know like ooh that that, that, that seems a little, you know, like I, I, treacherous. Like there's these mm-hmm. places that Christians are so afraid to go to for one reason or another. Um, but I, but I look at folks like Flannery O'Connor who, 
she she was so comfortable utilizing violence to tell tales of the humanity that she was observing um but i don't i don't read those stories and feel um compelled to leave god they actually draw me in they draw me into god and so i think what i've learned is that god is not afraid of the human story we act like he is we act like he is we act we act like we're supposed to like um you know sterilize everything for human consumption like like as if human christians don't know about or shouldn't know about like these more mundane, if not dark corners of the world. Right. But mm-hmm. we're all humans and we're all kind of living these same lives, you know? Um, so I think that's the thing that I've learned the most. And, and I, I know this will sound cliche for sure, but I love it anyways. But that thing from chariots of fire that the, the runner, Eric Liddell, who was asked, you know, why, why, you know, you're a runner, but you want to serve God. Why don't you leave running and go be a missionary on the mission field? And he said, well, I run because I love it. And I feel the pleasure of God when I run. And that's mm-hmm. how I feel when, when I'm going out into these interesting, maybe even risky places in my writing or in my songwriting I actually feel the pleasure of God over my life. And you can't always determine if something is good or not, or if it's God or not, based on whether your work succeeds or not. Because I feel like I've done plenty of really good work that nobody knows about that I just had to do by myself in my dark little corner. But there really is a gratification that comes to a writer or songwriter or artist where when what they do is finally beheld by someone else Mm. and they see beauty in it, I don't care who you are. I, I think it's false humility to say, Oh shucks. I didn't do that. That was God. It's like, nope, not at all. <laughs> not at all. God maybe co-labored with you. He he put the breath in your lungs, but you sat at that desk for hours on end with mm-hmm. nobody else in the room, isolated, doing the work in order to get yourself to a place where somebody could gasp in awe at the thing that you just made. And in, in that experience for that person, hopefully they would in turn feel or sense the glory of God, the love of God, the grace of God, or or not. I mean, it doesn't always have to be a spiritual experience, does it? Right. No. Would you say that that feels the same way? Like when you step on stage too? Well, it depends on the crowd. I, I think <laughs> I, I think uh, crowds come in lots of different forms, but I would say that the, the 
I, I have been in plenty of rooms where that transaction that I just described has definitely taken place, mm-hmm. you know, where, where they're just, they're with you on every mm-hmm. word. And, and it's, it's not even like a perform performer audience interaction anymore. It's, it's kind of like this ecstatic mm-hmm. moment, you know, um, plenty of times that doesn't happen, but when it <laughs> yeah. does, you're like, Oh man, this is what I get up in the morning for, you know? Yeah. This is, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Andy, I've got five questions. Hit me. With And then we'll talk about what you're up to, what's coming up next. Yeah. Five. Maybe six. We'll see. Okay. All-time favorite basketball player. Oh, gosh. I, I have to <laughs> say Steph Curry. I, have I love it. Curry. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's not – there's no wrong – there's yeah. no wrong answer. Ah, there might be. There, there might be. Uh, how do you take your coffee? Black. Perfect. One record that changed your life? Uh, Bob Dylan, Blood on the Tracks. Favorite song you've written? Whew. I know. I would have to say Before You God. Okay. Where can we find that? That is on Poet Priest, the album. And if you weren't doing what you're doing, what would you be doing? I would probably, at this point, I would probably be an assistant manager at um, Walmart or maybe an assistant manager at the local AT&T cell phone store. I love it. Yeah. I would definitely Just something very different. Retail. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean... <laughs> I have no other skills, so you know that's what I that's what I've spent a large portion of my life doing. So that's what I would be doing if I was not doing this. I get that. That's one of the reasons why I wake up every day, and there's this like this little people are like, you know, what's your what's your inspiration? And my honest answer is like fear of having to get a real job. Yeah, I I create so that I don't have to do something. We're in real pants. You know, it's just not for me. All right. Uh, as we close out, like, I want you to plug yourself hard. Like, what do you have coming up? Where can we find all your stuff? So, so here's, here's the, the big, the big news is Poet Priest Volume 2 is coming out at the end of, of September. That's a huge mm-hmm. thing. Um, if, if folks want to listen to my music, obviously, it's on Spotify, Apple Music, all of the platforms. Um, and if, if folks want to support me on Patreon, they can, they can go on to Patreon and just type in my name and, you know, become monthly supporters if they want to do that. Um, yeah, those are, those are mostly uh, Instagram. If they just want to follow me on Instagram, that's, that's the best place to hang with me on the social. That's perfect. So, that's yeah. perfect. Well, Hey man, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate having you on. Hey, it's been a great day. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Walk a Little Slower. Huge thank you to Andy Squires for being on the podcast. Again, make sure to check out the links in the show notes to follow along with Andy's work. I promise you're going to want to do that. As always, you can find me online at Written to Speak or at writtentospeak.com. And if you would like to support this podcast and my ministry, visit patreon.com slash writtentospeak to become a patron. Your monthly donations allow me to continue to spread hope and announce love through written and spoken word, just like this podcast. All right, I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, here is to walking just a little bit slower.
Peace.